everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player, a D3 all-star, and a guy who peaked in high school use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about everything but. Now here's John, Luke, and Tex. Drive on. Kick the wheels right before the hammer strikes to make sure the levels fall from low. I got them girls shining oh so bright. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to episode 441 of the premier podcast on strength and conditioning, Power Athlete Radio. 441. 441. That is correct. How about that? Man. You know, it's only three episodes away from 444. <laughs> and you know what? It's no. only four episodes away from 445. No way. I know. Did you know crazy. that one episode ago was 440? <laughs> it's crazy how the thing works, isn't it? Uh, it well, you know what? Nobody knows. It's just four, 440 was, I know we have a fun conversation today 440 mm-hmm. we got to explore a very it was good conversation with our camp gladiator pals mm-hmm. oh yeah i saw that and just got released the the world of fitness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now what we're talking about is individual fitness and personal accountability mm-hmm. today. Well, i, I put on an interesting lens over Christmas and kind of towards the end of the year and started kind of looking at like, I mean, cause it was such an odd year in so many ways and like, you know, like nothing for us to really compare against. And then I, you know, all this kind of new me, new you, new us, new we, you know, 2021, all this affirmations and excitement. And I'll tell you, 2021's kind of started out kind of weird too. But as I sat down, I wanted to write a blog post at least to kind of mark that kind of reflection point in 2020 and going forward into some things that we could action in 2021. And so I put out the eight rules for success in 2020, building off of my six rules for muscle in that I put out a couple months previous. So I, uh, we just launched it and I figured we'd do a podcast and discuss it a little bit. And new blog out. So we're at powerathletehq.com as well as talktomejohnny.com. Mm-hmm. And you go into a little bit more depth with each of these eight rules than our previous 42 things. Mm-hmm. Well, 42 is a lot. And if I went into depth on all of those, oh my God, that would have been a lot. You came of in too hot, Well, born, You peaked too soon. Well, the funny part was, is originally it was supposed to be 50. So I was going to do 50 things and I got to 42 and the, the, or I started, and I, I got to 42, they were okay. And I added a bunch more and then I went back and they just were really fluff and I ended up kind of going through and cutting and that's how I got to 42. But these eight were pretty interesting. Um, I actually was going through the presentation. Uh, this was kind of fortuitous in that, um, Chris had me do a CV that included all of my, like kind of, uh, I, I guess invited talks. So right. as I, you know, as you guys know, obviously a resume is one page, uh, a CV is a much longer resume that includes some of, you know, your talking points and, uh, some of the talks that you've done and you've been invited to. So as I was going through and creating that, I was, uh, you know, found the NSCA talk and especially the one on metabolic flexibility, just about the time I was working on this and the metabolic flexibility piece, uh, that talk that I did for the NSCA was like 10 years in the making. I remember when I first heard the term metabolic flexibility and like Rob Wolf and I started discussing it, I had this idea that like metabolic flexibility was going to give us this like indicator for health and performance. And we could use it as this almost North star. And as I got into it, I became more and more confused. And then I just figured out it's uh, towards the end as I was like, I got to put a stamp on this. And it was you know, the person that carries the most amount of lean muscle mass with the lowest percentage of body fat tends to be the most metabolically flexible individual, which means that they can switch between doing different uh, energy sources and they tend to be healthier. 
And like there was no talk about training or nutrients or anything, whatever allows you to carry the most amount of muscle in, uh, in comparison to body fat allows you to be the most metabolically flexible. And only those that are metabolically flexible can get to that point. And like when I understood that kind of piece, that was a, a, a huge, you know, like kind of a, just kind of a milestone for me. And then I got the opportunity to do that talk, which I thought was pretty good, um, which kind of sucked though, because they were doing a lot of stuff remote mm-hmm. and like there wasn't a ton of people in the audience. Like I bet you there was 20 people, whereas in years past, it would have been a few hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was January before the, the, the pandemic and the virtual clinic phenom, but they, they were still ahead. So they had streaming, uh, well, the, so they were streaming it out weren't, there. Weren't they running into like, uh, um, like numbers issues where like, you know, not as many people were attending. So they wanted to make it more, well, you know, open to most people by being able to put it online so that people didn't have an excuse for not yep, showing up. And now, now it was like genius. They, were, they were ahead <laughs> of the curve and, uh, d- putting out a lot of virtual conferences. Um, but the, hopefully they will release that presentation to the public. Mm-hmm. No, I um, thought it was good. I mean, so John, what, uh, how are the people, guy messed up my preso. How are people inflexible? Mm-hmm. Well, so in terms of like a metabolic inflexibility, uh, you know, the, cause people voluntarily put themselves in that scenario, right? Like they're like, well, well, I'm like just- in terms of health and performance or just in general, uh, not like the physiological flexible, but like metabolically inflexible. Yeah. Well that, I mean the ability to be able to seamlessly transition between using both carbs and fat as a fuel source, Mm -hmm. uh, requires some element of training. And it's very rare for an individual who is untrained to, you know, carry uh, an an inordinate amount of, uh, muscle to, you know, to body fat. Like it's actually something you have to train. I mean, obviously there's outliers Mm -hmm. that are, are, you know, super jacked and carry this and, you know, can, you know, and usually those guys are like, well, I can eat anything. Well, yeah, because you carry a lot of muscle and you're super lean. So therefore you're metabolically flexible, which means you can eat a much greater variety of food. Mm -hmm. So we were talking a little bit about, um, earlier on the muscle on the podcast with our muscle maven friend that, uh, you know, things like the carnivore diet where somebody's so metabolically broken that they can only consume mm-hmm. one macronutrient. It's just meat. And all of a sudden now I've gone on this carnivore diet and it's fixed all these problems. That's just an indicator of how metabolically inflexible you are, that you've basically narrowed this down to this one single thing that you can digest mm-hmm. well. And, you know, while that's helping them be healthier because it's removing a lot of the irritants and a lot of the problems that they're having. That is a great indicator of metabolic inflexibility opposed from being metabolically flexible. And I always wondered if you were to take somebody in that situation, like, um, uh, you know, Chris Bell, for example, uh, you know, he's big and, you know, a huge proponent of the carnivore deal and it's helped him become much healthier. He got rid of his arthritis and he has all these, you know, effects that it's helped him, mm-hmm. you know, as he's become leaner and in better shape, does this mean that he's become more metabolically flexible? So now he can add more foods back in. Right. That would be the idea that you're yeah. not necessarily looking for like a long-term narrow and yeah. wide. Yeah. Right? Ideally. But I think the problem is people get to that point and this is what got me there. So I'm going to stay instead of looking and being like, well, this was just the vehicle that got me to point B. Now mm-hmm. I need to expand and open and at least add new things to increase. Or, you know, I mean, maybe it's just the fact that like, Hey, I know I can stay lean this way, but I also worry too, that if you're so, and then Rob and I had a good talk on this, um, you know, it's so limiting in nutrients that like, 
are you getting any testing? And I guess if, if everything looks great and you're a healthy individual and it's working for you, then you know what? Like that's working for you. It doesn't mean that you should extrapolate it, extrapolate it out to the rest of the environment and the rest of the world and tell everybody they need to eat nothing but meat, which is what we see how it happens all too often. But when I discussed flexibility and I was really going through the talk on metabolic flexibility, what really struck me in 2021 is how unprepared people were for this massive change. Now we have this lockdown and people were unprepared because they had had so many options. I could go do this. I could train here. I could have, you know, I had classes. I had this. And it was really interesting to see people having to peel back and, you know, be more flexible in who they are, what they were doing, food sources, training, this. And I think the people that came out better in 2021 were the people that were able to adapt and were the most flexible. Mm -hmm. Which leads to our first rule. Be flexible. So explain that a little bit. It goes beyond the where we talked about energy systems and muscle and fat. Now be flexible is very holistic. Well, I I think we don't know. I think what the last year has taught us is we don't know what's on the horizon for us. Um, I think for many, many years, it was easy to be like, hey, I know I'm going to be able to go to Gold's Gym. I know I'm going to be able to train. I know I'm going to be able to go here and shop here and eat at this restaurant. And I think that that people were really stuck, not necessarily stuck, but just like very set in their ways on what they were doing. And then all of a sudden the gyms close, right? Restaurants are out of business. And now all of a sudden you're like, okay, where do I source my food? Uh, you know, I, I used to be able to go to Whole Foods and buy this. Now I can't go in and get that anymore. So I think we saw uh, an element of flexibility and just really adaptation and forced adaptation that I don't know people would have done. Uh, if not forced into it, like we saw with the third monkey launch, you know, here was a situation where people were totally unprepared to train because they didn't have the equipment because they had just, it was easier to go pay the 25 bucks to join the local, you know, Globo gym. So all of a sudden being able to put out an austere program like third monkey, which, you know, involves $50 worth of stuff from home Depot, which, you know, the, the greatest price per pound we saw was what in, in uh, cement mm-hmm. dried cement and also in, uh, um, cinder blocks, cinder blocks. <clears throat> uh, you know, and then being able to put a program together that, allows people to still train with some form of progressive overload and some form of movement, heavy, hard op um, implements. And just the, the training videos and the user generated content that we got surrounding third monkey actually gave me like hope in 2020 when I was I looking at it and I was like going through all the video stuff that uh, you put together. I was like, this is awesome. This, this is putting people into this environment and forcing them to be the most flexible version Mm -hmm. of themselves. And much like metabolic flexibility, the more metabolically flexible you are, the more, I mean, it's like an indicator. Like you can't be metabolically flexible and be fat. Like it just doesn't work. That's where that whole like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fit, but fat. No, like if you look at metabolic flexibility, it's purely dependent upon, you know, the leaner you are, the less body fat, the more metabolically flexible you are. And I think what we found is that when we put people in, in situations, those that can continue to find solutions and we're forced into it, we tended to be the most flexible individuals. Mm-hmm. And part of that, building that confidence and flexibility leads into number two, rule yeah. two. Exercise as a driver. So um, I don't think anybody is going to disagree with the neurological effects and more importantly, the positive effects of, ener- of exercise on mental health. Uh, the scarier thing, and I, I sometimes worried about this, especially with the lockdown and everything that was happening with the COVID environment, that if we get to a point where like suicides and some of the problems there were greater than the actual, uh, you know, effects that people were running into with COVID. And it's like, you know, the cure can't be more deadly, you know, than the virus. 
And so I think what happened is, is, and, um, you know, we had it on the podcast today with, uh, with Ashley talking about like, I'm a, I'm tended to be an introvert. My social outlet is going to the gym, following classes, being involved, seeing people, and then I can retreat. And all of a sudden cutting that off, uh, allows people or forces people into some weird places where now all of a sudden they're locked in, in their environment and they don't have that outlet. Um, I know as a, you know, more of an introvert, you know, having family and being especially in that situation and not having a place to go where people see you. And even if you don't have a, you know, detailed relationship, like that was so much so good about CrossFit was the community aspect. Now all of a sudden you cut that out and that was people's community. That was their church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea that exercise is a driver for not only neurological, but health. And, you know, it's an age old one. Like if you if you train and you feel good, other things tend to be better. You know, you're eating better. You're focusing on this. I mean, the one that um, uh, was pretty interesting, if they looked at alcohol consumption during COVID, it was like six times higher than any other point. I believe it, for you sure. know, and like, you know, people like I, I saw on Facebook, I, not on my Facebook, but on Kate, she's like, um, people are like posting about drinking cocktails at, for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we got to get our first one in before 10 in the morning. And she was, you know, like uh, all her mom friends were literally like pounding white wine being like, oh, it's it's white before noon. It's red after 12. I mean, like, and it was, it wasn't just a few, it was a lot. And I think people, the way they were coping with the lockdown was, you know, obviously with alcohol boozing. and other stuff sure. and boozing. And, um, you know, not that we're anti-booze by any means, but I think if you're going to find a driver for success, especially in, you know, this kind of austere climate, I would much have you would much rather put exercise at the forefront than alcohol or yep. drugs or, or some of the other things. To build off that in an upcoming episode number 446 with author Stephen Kotler in his book, The Art of Impossible. He talks about the physio physiological brain hormone release through goal setting and what helps unlock it is movement and exercise and taking some risks. We could associate that with weightlifting and doing things, a sense of accomplishment that you didn't think you could. Mm -hmm. He's more of the extreme surfer, mover, climber, parkour guy. And he does in that book talk about the differences in terms of creativity what the unlocking power through movement and exercise and risk versus the the brain release and creativity that's associated with alcohol, drug use. So he goes into the physiological, the brain mechanisms of those, and he sides with the the exercise and the movement power. And that's that's one thing I, I took away and then see within this rule, just that self-ownership and building confidence in your body through movement versus substance. Well, the, um, you know, the, the one thing that struck me pretty, pretty clear, especially in 2020 is how do people cope with things? Like that was a really interesting thought and doing a little deep dive on like, what are coping mechanisms? Uh, people cope with food, they cope with alcohol, drugs, exercise. I mean, you know, all, like there was a million different coping mechanisms. The ones I thought was interesting was, uh, and I'm sure you did it, Luke. Um, and I know Chris did it too. Like the virtual zoom with like your buddies oh, yeah, yeah. where like, uh, Kate had a virtual happy hour with all of her friends from high school. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, three days a week at like six o'clock, they'd all like get on zoom and have a drink of wine and like, you know, have this kind of like social thing. And, uh, it was funny cause she's like, Oh, I'm going to have uh, like a ladies night. And I was like, in quarantine and she explained it. I'm like, I think it's great. Like people need community. They need coping mechanisms. Uh, I think 
if I were to look and say, all right, like what are these coping mechanisms or coping mechanisms? What's healthy? What's not? I think anything that you'd probably do to detriment tends to be a negative one. Like, you know, if you're exercising, you know, seven hours a day and not doing anything else, but looking for balance, looking for flexibility, being able to kind of balance the stuff. Am I exercising? Am I eating well? Am I sleeping? Uh, you know, what does it look like? Am I doing something that involves, um, some form of personal growth? Like, am I, am I reading? Am I exploring? Am I just not sitting there fucking getting hammered watching YouTube videos or getting baked and watching YouTube videos, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but if that's all you were doing. So I think being able to, you know, much like the metabolic flexibility, the people that are the leanest, the most metabolically flexible can eat the greatest diversity of diet. I think the people that tended to cope and do the best were the people that had the most varied interests and the people that had the most support and just different things to keep their interests. Mm -hmm. The want to transition into our next eat enough protein for muscle. A lot of people within the quarantine, they took on learning new skills of which we're cooking. And this is something I invested in. So Luke gave me a gift of a meat thermometer a few years back and it really got some good use. Thanks Mm -hmm. to the state, our friends at state classy meats over this quarantine and just saying, what's the worst that could happen? I overcook steak, like my old pal John Wellborn. Hey, or that's true. I have overcooked one steak. time. One John time. Wilbur. So you know, yeah. you you build what is it? You build a million roofs. Yeah. We don't have to well, get into the parable. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> you fix one roof, you're not a roofer. You fix one set of shoes, you're not a cobbler. You overcook one steak, and you're a hack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where number three came from was, um, you know, uh, my wife. Uh, and my, my daughters, uh, ride horses. So our next door neighbors got a big horse school and they turn their horses out in our pastures. And in exchange, my, my daughters ride, my wife rides. And then Kate started training Kathy, who's their owner and all the coaches over at the, uh, over at power athlete. And it's pretty interesting because, uh, she asked me questions every night as I'm, I'm sitting there trying to like get a bunch of, you know, programming or busy work or whatever I'm working on the emails. Uh, she's always hitting me on these questions like, hey, I have these people. And it was pretty amazing, like to hear the way that like obviously the coking mechanisms, but more importantly, like the physiological differences that a lot of these women came out of quarantine with, like they all gained weight. Uh, they all feel like flexible. And it was like this whole thing. And she's been, you know, getting them to train and they've been actually in the gym for a couple months. And uh, some of them are making really good progress and others of them are not. And even though they're getting stronger, they're not seeing changes in body composition. And so the one that we've talked about and I and I, I've asked her many times, like, what does their protein look like? Like, it's really the only macronutrient I've seen that changes body composition. Like, you know, uh, if you, you know, eat a high protein diet and caloric restriction, you tend to lean out. That's how you lose body fat. If you, you know, are trying to gain muscle, you got to be in a caloric surplus, but really like carbs and fats to me are more about taste and kind of balancing like a total caloric load, but really protein. And it's pretty interesting because as I sat there and, uh, had, had them all, I, I was like, Hey, for a week, have every one of these women write down anytime they eat something that they think is protein. And I even told her, I was like, don't, you don't have to like get into the nuance of what you think protein is. Just ask them to protein. And what's pretty amazing is that, uh, their protein was somewhere around like 20 to 30 grams of protein a day. Like, well, I had a little bit of this and it has some protein in it. Well, I had this and had protein. Like the amount of actual like solid sit down protein meals might've been like once a day for dinner. Well, I had some yogurt. Okay, well, that's fine. But like, what kind of yogurt? Oh, well, that's not really. It's a non-fat uh, yo play that's got no protein in it. So it's pretty amazing 
for their perception of what they thought protein was and what they were actually consuming. I mean, we've done this for years. Like people have no concept of what they're eating until they actually have to write it down. And then you figure out exactly how much or how little you're eating. And so as I was working on number three, where protein was this major driver for metabolic flexibility and the idea of like, if you want to carry a lot of muscle mass, you have to consume a high protein diet. And I talked about the primary driver for metabolic flexibility being some form of protein um, and being able to have a diet that allows us to stay in a lower body fat when people aren't able to approach it. You have to look and say, okay, are they eating, you know, not enough or too much? I mean, whatever it is, uh, what does the training look like? I mean, go back to John Meadows comment that like if somebody's eating perfect and doing, you know, the training intensity becomes an issue. So that was my thing with Kate. Like, um, you know, what does the training intensity look like? How hard are they lifting? How many days a week are they coming? Are they monitoring their calories? And the biggest one came down to most of them are eating such a low protein diet that I actually wonder if is body composition even important or like, why are they there? They want to be stronger. They want to feel better. Or do they want to make some body composition changes? Cause if they want to make body composition changes, they're going to have to eat a high protein diet and a caloric restriction. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to be hungry a little bit. And that's an interesting one. Obviously protein is much more satiating. So if you eat more protein, you're not as hungry as often, but it's pretty interesting for their perception. So that was kind of where I skinned number three in the idea of like, you know, being able to understand, are you eating enough protein? So that was kind of my 2021. Um, next one was number four, identifying problems. So this is another big one. And the Stephen Kotler uh, podcast was a good indicator for it. But are you accurately assessing the problems? Um, you know, we we talked about it earlier. Like, you know, are you getting the blood work done? Are you eating a, a, a ton of liver? And next thing you know, you get vitamin A toxicity. Oh, yeah. I'm eating healthy. <laughs> yeah. But I'm eating no. healthy. Right. Like there's people that are like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm eating healthy, but that's not what the blood work is showing. Why is this? Is it some form of low level gut inflammation or there problems within this? I mean, is it micronutrient deficiencies? The problem is, is people never get a peek underneath the hood. And I think it was really easy, especially during quarantine where, you know, people weren't maybe going outside, weren't exercising as much. It was kind of easier just to say, fuck it. Let's go to the couch and watch Netflix at nine in the morning. Um, or, Hey, let's crack a few beers at Tuesday at, at, you know, 7am. And I think people were able to kind of lull into this a little bit. And I don't know if they were able to identify the problems. So how do you identify the problems? Like when you, you know, maybe your spouse is like, uh, you've drank like 40 beers in the last two days and it's only Tuesday. Like that might not be, you might not have a problem, but that could be a problem. Like, how are you doing this? Um, like the other one that, uh, actually was pretty interesting when I was doing research on like what type of um, what type of problems did people have coming out of the pandemic? Obviously it was alcohol. There was drugs. The other one was like porn addiction, like the mm-hmm. rate that uh, you t- or uh, was it a uh, Pornhub saw like dramatically fucking like, like uptake, you know, people just, hey, I'm going to get hammered and watch porn on a you know day. So it uh, like, you know, porn addiction, Um, you know, uh, domestic violence went up. I mean, spousal abuse. I mean, there was all these issues, these extraneous things that happened as a result of people not having an outlet. And so my big thing is like we, uh, you know, and in the blog post, I talk about testing and the idea of like being able to go in and and get some, um, you know, uh, just some health work done, but being able to like actually identify problems. Like this is something I think about constantly like way more than I should. But, uh, when my dad was sick, um, we went in and met with Dr. Christie and, you know, she started, you know, kind of going over, you know, asking my dad a series of questions 
you know, has anything changed in your health? You know, this and sort of going through all these things. And it was the first time I really thought about it because you go to the doctor and they ask you that and you go, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's Mm -hmm. fine. But have you ever taken like a nuanced approach and been like, well, no, I have athlete's foot. I didn't have athletes last time I talked to you, but now I got like some weird athlete's foot in my toe. Oh, okay. Um, my dad was like, well, something kind of weird. I used to be able to take like a handful of pills, like supplements and swallow them. Now, uh, if I take one pill, I throw it up like a 30 seconds later and I can't swallow any pills. And she was like, well, how long has that been going on? And he's like, oh, it's a couple of years. She's like, oh, you didn't tell me that in your last uh, checkup. And he's like, well, I didn't think it was an issue. He's got a tumor in his stomach. Like that indicator she could, and I was like, well, what if he had told you that? She's like, oh, I would have totally have sent him in and got it on a scan of his stomach. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how we know your changes in health and things that you observe mm-hmm. are the doctor's greatest ally in diagnosing sickness, illness, and, and anything, cancer especially. Like, man, I had this pain in my knee. All right, let's take a look at it. Oh, shit, you got a tumor on your knee. That happened to a buddy of mine. Uh, his dad uh, had a knee pain, went in to get his knee scoped, and they found a tumor, and he was dead within three months. Fuck. I mean, so like these type of things, like identifying these problems, going and having somebody going through a checkup, you know, analyzing and realizing and been like, hey, you know what? Like this is a problem I'm having. I'm not sleeping. I'm not doing this. And having somebody that can actually understand because they have the history with you, but how to help you get through this and hopefully uh, avoid a, you know, a, a, a bad outcome. Like um, whenever I talk about like the testing or any of the stuff we do with Dr. Tom, it's always, and I tell him the same thing. I just want to know about something before it becomes something that like becomes catastrophic that we can't reverse. Like if you say to me, Hey, this is a problem. We, you know, it's early on. Let's make a change. Let's do this. I like that more so than like, this will be what's going to put you in the grave. Mm -hmm. So that's where I got into the, uh, um, you know, be proactive use testing to kind of understand. And it could be as little as like, Hey, I'm just gonna, you know, like one of my neighbors, for example, um, during quarantine, uh, I remember it was right around 4th of July. Um, he's like, I'm not going to drink anymore. And he hasn't had a drink in six months. And I was like, how's it going? He's like, one, I didn't realize how hammered I was getting. And two, I didn't realize how much, how much booze I was drinking until I stopped drinking it. And he goes, and I also kind of realized I was kind of not the type of person I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I, I kind of just slipped into this easy thing. I'm like, Oh, we're in quarantine. Let's have a few drinks every day. And he's like, it took me not having a drink to be able to kind of make a change. Yeah. Identify the gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you got to have some testing. Um, the number five P or the number five is sprint. So there's pretty extensive research that talks about sprinting as a mechanism for muscle and low body fat. That when they look at like who wins the hundred meters, if they were to go and do body fat testing, usually the dude that wins the gold medal is the leanest dude. So, I mean, there's a pretty interesting indicator. And I remember Skutnik sent me that article. Um, There's a bunch of research where they found that like the leaner you are, the greater uh, muscle to body weight ratio you have to be able to propel yourself through space um, becomes a very, very real factor and low digit body fat usually translates into greater success in sprinting. So if sprinting is the mechanism, then we have to, you know, and metabolic flexibility is the eventual outcome. Adding some form of sprinting into the program helps people. Um, I've never seen anybody sprint poorly uphill. That's kind of an interesting observation that I made. And I think uh, Jim Wendler's made it and a bunch of other people. When we watch people run, I've seen people really sprint poorly on flat ground. For the most part, people sprint pretty well uphill because they get a lot of time of forward lean. They get a lot of arm swing. They have to lift their knees up. And they a lot of the mechanics 
that allow you to sprint uphill are a lot of the mechanics you, sh- you should have on some form of flat ground. And the the eccentric, the load, I guess the the negative effects that you would feel sore. So if we're talking to a population that hasn't sprinted in years, uphill is a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And we're not talking, talking about concentric. The, yeah, we're not talking about the the hundred meter world class. So stop comparing yourself to them. It's sprinting, running, and moving as quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. That would be this this tool of sprinting so that you can get back into it. And eventually your coordination will start to align that you can increase your speed, but not doing it because you're not as good as this example from this study. That's mm-hmm. not an excuse. So, so when I was in high school, I used to drive around. I think I've told you guys the story. I drive around and look for hills to like uh, grades to sprint down to try to do overspeed, but I also look for hills to run up. And like, it was funny. I, I remember in high school, I hit like my brother, like we were driving around, like looking for hills to run. And then like fast forward 20 years, I remember I'm on the phone and Jim Wendler called me. This is like 2000. I mean, dude, we were probably, we were probably still living in the beach house. So the probably 2010, 2011. And he was driving around with his uh, girlfriend, soon to be wife at the time, looking for hills to sprint. And she was pregnant. So he was like, yeah, she's pregnant with, you know, some of the other hills are too extreme. We're looking for a less extreme hill. And I just thought it was funny that like, we, we drove around looking for hills to run. And there he was like all these years later, like oh, I'm just driving around for a little look for hills to sprint mm-hmm. up. And uh, like, it doesn't have to be far, 20, 30, 40 yards, maybe, you know, 20, 10 yards, whatever you can, but being able to find something that allows you to sprint and be able to get that form because all the training, all the weightlifting, all the air bike and conditioning and all the other jiggy shit that you do in the gym, nothing it will ever replace sprinting. Like the, the two things that never got easy for me were lifting weights because they always got heavier and sprinting. Like I never got done where I was like, wow, those sprints are really easy. We should do that every day. No, fucking sprinting is awful. Your lungs are on fire. You feel like your, your whole body's going to explode and you're trying to move it at, at a rate. I mean, you get in better shape, but like that's the thing that never gets easy. I mean, I've done battling ropes. I've done all this other stuff. I mean, kettlebell swings never get easy either because you just go heavier. Uh, but Sprinting, I think, is uh, is something that if going into 2021, if you can be able to incorporate some form of sprinting back into your life, I think you'll be better off. Preach. Uh, number six, don't waste time. Um, man, I find all too often the people that don't accomplish what they want is because they don't budget their time. And I know I'm guilty of it. I'm sure everybody on this podcast is guilty of it. You know, there has to be a, you know, like. I always hear these stories and Stephen Collar like, Oh, I sat down and got 20 hours worth of work without distraction. And I'm like, wow, like that's pretty amazing. I wish I could do that. I wish I had the, I think he's trying to sell a book, the mental fortitude to sit down and like, you know, I remember in college and I, I sometimes wonder if it's uh, because there's deadlines, but I remember sitting down and like, you know, having two days to write this 20 page paper and like, you know, being able to put eight to 10 hours and sit down and grind this out. But there's a deadline where if I don't do this, I will get a poor grade and I won't be able to play football. So you're forced into this. But being able to sit down and be able to write some goals and be able to say, hey, this is what I want to accomplish today on a week. This is what I want to accomplish on, you know, within the day, but within the week and, you know, a month and a year. And where do I want to be at this time next year? And I think as you start extrapolating it out and it has to become more rigid. I think like your daily schedule, hey, this is what I need to get done. There's some flexibility. There's a flexibility over the week and over the month. And as this thing gets farther out, it becomes more rigid. Like if I want to do X, this is what I'm giving it and I'm going to be unrelenting on getting there. Um, so I think setting an end goal and then understanding that every day that work has to get there. Like um, Ashley had a great point where she was saying, hey, you know, during quarantine, I wanted to write this book. 
I had never written a book. I didn't know what it took to write a book. So I just sat down and wrote the book without anybody telling me what the process was. And I think that's an amazing thing where you don't really know what you can accomplish if nobody ever tells you what it takes to accomplish something. Like I, you know, I always think about like the first guy that climbed Mount Everest, you know, it couldn't be done. Well, I'm not going to listen to these people. I don't know. Nobody's ever done it. So nobody has a way. So I'm going to do it this way. And so I think the, the idea of like, don't waste time. And if you do waste time, make it meaningful. Like I always think on that, like if I'm going to waste some time, like, uh, or I'm going to, you know, step away from something, I'd like to take my daughter out and work on her jump shot for two hours. Is that a waste of time? No, I'm not sitting on my computer being able to push power athlete into, you know, the, you know, the next evolution of, of global domination. But you know what? It was great for me to bond with my daughter and be able to shoot some baskets opposed from, you know, me just scrolling on Instagram for hours doing nothing. So I think if you're going to, you know, step away from something that's, you know, uh, I guess you could say like positioning to drive you forward to your end goal, make sure that it's meaningful and that, you know, it's investing in either yourself or investing in those around you. Mm-hmm. Number seven, identify weaknesses. So this is a big one. Um, everybody needs to identify their blind spots and their weaknesses. And I think like, if you don't have any, obviously you're, you're not looking at it or you don't have the right people around you. Uh, you know, like, um, I use the analogy in the, in the blog post talking about squatting that, you know, like, why do you, like, where do you break on your squat? Why is your squat your limiting factor? You know, is it because you don't have the upper back strength to support it? Do you get tacoed at the bottom? Do you get a bunch of, uh, you know, your knees caving in? Is it ankles? Like, um, as I started watching a ton of, uh, training videos for not only all of our different programs, the one thing that's really interesting, especially when you look at squat depth, is people squat down to a certain point. And I think what, what's pretty amazing is they stop using the quad and then they have to sit into the flexibility of the hip as they run out of ankle flexibility. So like if you were trying to like just engage your quad and I was watching it with the guys on Jack Street, like if you want to get more quad activation, the deeper you go in the squat, the, forward, the more forward your knee should go. So you get to a point like your knee hits your toe and then for you to hit deeper, you really have to sit into your hips, which doesn't necessarily use the quad as much. You know, so the idea of like, you know, when you watch bodybuilders, especially they squat um, a lot of times like, a, you know, uh, watching some of the main dudes like they never even they hit a few inches above parallel because they stop where they're, you know, like, hey, this is where my dorsiflexion ends. This is where, you know, I, it stops activating my quad. And as I sit into this to get deeper, I'm having to use more of my glute, more of my hip, which isn't necessarily targeting this muscle. Like if you watch people do leg press. Uh, how deep do people necessarily get in their leg press? You know, if you look at the angle, it's usually mm-hmm. at a lesser degree. So, I mean, just identifying weaknesses and understanding what you're squatting for. Are you squatting to squat heavy? Are you squatting to try to, you know, put on big legs? Are you mm-hmm. trying to be a bodybuilder? You know, John Meadows talked about like deadlifting like a bodybuilder. I always thought that was funny. I'm like, well, you know, like using your lats, engaging it and trying to train it in a different way, not just pulling for maximal weight, but because there's no weightlifting competition, how you're training. So I think that's always pretty exciting too, especially with the different power athlete programs from, you know, Jack street, field, strong, grindstone, hammer, big, you know, third monkey, lean, enable bedrock. I mean, everything that we have, you know, there's a different focus. So there's a different need for how you're doing it and then understanding the nuance of how to attack it. So it's identifying the weaknesses. And then the last one, um, I always hated in the CrossFit thing where they always talked about, Oh, you know, if, if all you ever did was train your weaknesses, you'd be better. Ah, I don't think so. I think as a football player, there were things that were weak points for me that I had to improve upon, but never at the expense of building on what was in my wheelhouse and what were my strengths. I knew exactly. I was like, 
you know, quick set, big punch dude. And I was going to take a guy early on in the fight. And like at the end of the day, like there were certain things I needed to work on, but never at the expense of what made me me. And so I think for everybody, you have to be able to, you know, sit back and say, hey, this is what I do really well. This is who I am. These are my strengths. And realize that I got to build upon those that just focusing on my weaknesses at the expense of who I am doesn't help me in the greater scheme. So I think being able to identify these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, surround myself with either people that help pull up my weaknesses or help build me up and then realize like I'm going to put the, you know, my foot on the accelerator and keep going and, um, you know, make the progress I need. So, uh, the, like the, the interesting thing. And I, and like, like I said earlier in the podcast, um, I've never been a fan of this whole like new me, new you, you know, new year's resolution thing. But like, I feel really optimistic for 2021, even though it has started kind of strangely, uh, you know, with all the stuff in DC and, you know, all this kind of interesting stuff, but I really am optimistic because I think, uh, you know, it's not necessarily where you start, but where you finish. And I think everybody, well, not everybody, but a good amount of people are starting in a deficit and now they're finding new solutions. And I'm interested to see what the growth is from 20, uh, 2020 to 21. Like are people like, like who's going to embrace it? Who's going to be like, yeah, that sucked, but I'm not going to make this a repeater. I'm never going to be at an expense. I'm never going to be in a hole. I'm going to be able to provide myself the solutions I need and find the people around me that allow me to be the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. preach yes and we have the the blog available on powerathletehq.com and i was, will link it in the show notes as well so we provided some perspectives some depth into the the thoughts that generated these eight rules but then you still need to read and, mm-hmm. and crack that bone and them figure out. out how you're going to apply them you donkeys yeah, don't just read the blog and then be the like you. oh i'll file this in my no these are Valuable, well, valuable and, tools for you to reframe the way that you're approaching your life. Whether you're going to use the arbitrary Mayan calendar that means really nothing, this construct of time that's being forced upon us. <laughs> no one's validated it, yeah, <laughs> except true. for all agriculture and I, much of commerce and everything else around it. You know what? I uh, whether or not it's accurate or not, I think uh, there's the Mayan this calendar idea, or well, your eight points or either. <laughs> I, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. nobody knows, but I think, um, I think that you have to like, like this is, this is kind of something that's kind of permeating. I mean, obviously there's a, a lot of political strife going on with what's going on in this country, but like, what's amazing to me is how quick people are willing to like throw it all in the trash and burn it all down. This whole thing's over. It's done. The experiment's dead. You know, you know, uh, the Ben Franklin, it's a democracy. If you can keep it, you know, it's been, and I'm like, Jesus. Like, I don't want to be in a foxhole with any of you guys. Like, I, I believe in that, you know, uh, was Doris Giddings Goodwin, you know, her statement that America is not that fragile, that democracy is not fragile, that like, you know, uh, Lady Liberty will find a way to persevere in the face of all this stuff. And I think that there's like an inherent goodness and a belief within your neighbor and your support in this mm-hmm. that um, that the ship will right itself. And, uh, you know, and, and I think the problem, too, is we become so polarized by the perception and the way we're viewing this, like uh, it was funny I, as I was going through some of the social media, people kept dropping um, pictures from like Batman and World War Z and all this mm-hmm. in like, hey, this is what's happening in D.C. Oh, really? And yeah. like, I'm like, no, that's Bane. Yeah. He's, he's fighting Batman. Like it was just pretty funny. And like the melees, like you would like look at three, three pictures mm-hmm. and one of them would be Batman. And it's like, like uh, I, I think those type of movies 
And I think like Batman and there's like this, like, you know, nefarious, you know, high ranking, uh, you know, high level, you know, uh, um, evil being that's trying to do the world wrong and this, and there's this, like people want to buy into that. And I, I don't necessarily know if there's some, you know, massive global conspiracy they're pushing this way, but I think there's a whole bunch of people that are probably, uh, not qualified to doing their job that are just out there pretending like they know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. And you know what I wonder on with this thing, like there's, I have no doubt that regardless of what side of any political scenario you're on that like your feelings are real you know what i mean like i I don't whether you're far left far right center left whatever it is right like your feelings are real so then like there's this change theoretically that could occur that you would win and get your way right so like let's say the cards fall in your favor right like then what for you, you know, what, what, what would the next step be once the cards are in your favor? Are you going to focus inward then? Because like, I, I do feel that you have the bandwidth, whoever you are listening, that's angry or frustrated, sad, whether it's with quarantine, whether you're small bit, like then what, like you're going to work on yourself. Well, you can do, you can do that now, even when things aren't going your way. And like, these are the points and the tools that can help you just create a framework for that. Right. Yeah. Like, and- we we've all run into that in our athletic careers Mm -hmm. and coaching careers because it's there's an athlete out there that's oh this coach didn't like me or Mm -hmm. uh, yeah i'm I'm not doing that or this doesn't suit my strengths or they yell and blame you Mm -hmm. or the team or the coach and that eventually runs up to them so in my team experience unfortunately i don't i can't check in on those individuals because they they fizzle out and they're gone within the year or two within the team respect. But I I pray for those guys or Mm -hmm. those team members that they have this opportunity to, if it continues to go wrong for them and all these different scenarios, they finally have this time to look forward. And then within these eight rules, it's that these are good stepping stones for you to check yourself and see mm-hmm. where you can improve. And then, man, as cliche as it is, the new year is that opportunity where you can start on January. Where, where are we at now? Twelfth. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, hey, yeah, two weeks in, the, the Nate Austin. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Nate should be thinking about making it back to the gym. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, I, I sent him a text. I go, you know, you're hurting the big guy's feelings. He's really upset. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't got back to me. No, that's so neat. Uh-huh. Uh, I was telling these guys that back in the day, there was a TV show called that's so Raven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was the girl from the, uh, from the Cosby show. And like, they would like, she'd do some zany like, Oh, that's so Raven. So then like, uh, whenever something pops up with Nate, uh, so like, Nate. Oh, this is so Nate. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, uh, you know, I overslept or, you know, this, I mean, it's always, it's not like, ah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm My just, bad. Yeah. yeah, I'm lazy. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll be better. There's always something, but uh, no, man. I I think um, I think if you at this point, if you get to the end of this 2021 and you don't look back and see this as being a growth year, whether it be I read more books, uh, you know, I got in better shape, I trained harder, I learned to cook, like I acquired a skill, I did something, I made a friend, like whatever it looks like. If you look and you're, you know, going this way or you feel like you are, dude, reach out. Like, I mean, we're easy to get a hold of, you know, you can hit us up at info. You can come to power athlete, like social media, whatever it is we have, like we have coaches, we got nutrition, we got this. I mean, we got podcasts, we got everything. And 
like I don't want to feel like we're leaving people behind. But I think if uh, you don't have that growth mindset moving forward in 2021, where I'm going to go out and kick the doors off of the hinges. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you're I think you're leaving a lot on the table. And if you need help with that, we can help you. Um, But I really feel like this year will be a really interesting year just for that growth opportunity. And on that note, our previous podcast, 439, where we talked about culture and training, what's your best training environment that Connor uh, Lynch, one of our block one coaches called in to ask about a big part of that training environment culture was the teammates to call you on your bullshit, whether that's short in the sprint, a rep, or in the, the best friend respect, you're making fun and targeting for a reason to put lights to serious changes that can be made. Mm-hmm. So now it's it's an opportunity within our training community to post your squats to get called out for your identifying your weaknesses. We can, as coaches, provide you feedback for your movement. And then at the same time, there's accountability, especially within the, the Jack Street community with the JSAC crew. Yeah. Everything that you eliminating your excuses for poor movement or training accountability we can provide that solution through our team and culture mm-hmm. that we've created through training virtually yeah. and that's one thing and then the podcast is for the opportunity to provide perspective and reflection for how you're living your life if you don't have that soundboard if it's hey you and your family walled up and where where does uh muscle made quebec. Quebec, quebec that are on a true lockdown. No, she's in Ontario. Oh, Ontario. Ontario. Well, wherever the hell you are in Siberia. Canada. Might as well be. And yeah, this is opportunity for a community within itself, even sure. though we're a thousand miles away and maybe you're listening to this one week after we release it. Well, the, um, I don't know, man, like there, there's kind of an interesting thing where uh, I think as the world gets bigger and gets... Well, I mean, uh, you know, gets more connected. And I guess in, in a term, it's not bigger, but it's smaller. I think people feel more alone because they're, you know, they're plugging in instead of maybe having an interesting conversation with their neighbor. They're listening to a podcast. And obviously, if they're listening to this, but I think uh, no form of technology. And even though you're feeling connected, um, I don't think the technology will ever replace like human interaction. And I think that's like a, an interesting piece because we've got into human interaction like, hey, uh, I'm going to order my groceries and just go pick them up. I'm not going to go in and talk to the checker or ask somebody like, hey, where do I get this? Like there's no interaction. I think things have become so sterile based off of this you know, current deal that like those type of things like, um, you know, Kate's like, oh, you know, should go pick. I'm like, no, nah, I like to go in and get them. I want to talk to people like I want to be uh, I want to go through this. I want to see stuff like I just. And one, when I go to the grocery store, I never know what I'm going to get because I don't have that form of planning, but I'd go in there and I realize all the shit that we need. But like that piece of, uh, you know, like just ordering your Christmas gifts or, you know, Hey, I got to get, you know, I'm just going to order on Amazon and get it shipped opposed from like going and getting something packaging up and giving it to the person. So I think that there's a really like, almost like at this point, like you almost have to fight for a little bit of that connection Mm -hmm. and doing things in kind of a, you know, traditional or non-traditional in the way looking at it. But I don't know. I, um, I do enjoy, uh, like I like the garage gym, but I also liked going to the, you know, Gold's gym and seeing all the interesting people that show up there and their crazy outfits and the stupid <laughs> shit they do, uh-huh. you know? And so. one more note of recency theory or podcast with Lexi Harris and the, she lives in negativity in her police experience within the job. And it, 
one of her comments that still stuck out to me is if you go looking for negativity, you will find it. Right. Well, so you yeah. have to force yourself to look for positive things and go out of your way. If you are feeling alone to reach out or lean in mm-hmm. to someone. And guys do a shitty job of that. I mean, that's why, you know, the, the rate of male suicide is dramatically higher than people than, than women because guys feel alone. And I mean, dude, I was listening to that. Uh, I, uh, Joe Rogan actually quoted, what was it? Chris Rock, who said that uh, uh, society doesn't value men, only values men for what they can provide. You know, society values and saves children and women. But dudes are only have value if they can provide something. And like uh, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, I went back and I listened to Chris Rock's stand up where he brings that up. And he's going through this whole deal about getting divorced and, you know, uh, having to go and like fight for his kids and going through this whole thing. And like, you know, these realizations that he made. So uh, like looking at that and realizing that, you know, guys are just kind of solemn, like women tend to be much better in terms of like social structure and, uh, you know, interact unless you're from Naperville. Um, but for the most part, you know, dudes love dudes, uh, like, like people like need that stuff, man. They need to know that like somebody's out there, somebody's in their corner and more importantly that they have a community and they have people around them to support them. Mm-hmm. So we're here for you people. We're here for you. Hugs and love. Hugs and love. <laughs> Who said that? Uh, we don't know. Yeah, we don't mystery, know. Yeah. One of the first mystery callers. The yeah. vision caller, The vision quest. Mm-hmm. Which, awesome. by the way, John, uh, I don't know if I told you, Bo gave me that, uh, the book as a gift. So I'm reading that right now. What book? Vision quest. Oh, vision. Oh, the mm-hmm. book. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I'm interested to read as well because mm-hmm. Matthew Modine was so Mm-hmm. So I, high on it. I, you know what? Uh, before the podcast, I didn't even know it was a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and neither, and neither did Bo, who was like, "That's a book." So yeah. he listened to the the Modine. Uh, he was like reading through the tweets, and he said it in the tweet. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. that it was a book. But it's, is it called Vision Quest? Yeah. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll have to do. I mean, it's like I uh, I remember obviously reading uh, Rambo: First Blood after I'd seen oh. the movie. And uh, I, I I have it on PDF. Like it, it, like you can download it for free. He he has it out there. But like that, it's it's pretty intense. Well, this uh, I got to thank Luke Summers for the Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. He gave me The Godfather, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I have to say this is this is my first time reading it. I've seen the movie infinite times with my dad. Infinite, dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll tell you this. Stop. I've read the book more times than I've seen the movie. Oh, well, so now. I, I read the books before I ever saw the movie and then I saw the movie and I, I like, and, and I fucking hate when people are like, Oh, did you read the book? It's so much better. But dude, the Godfather books were dude. like, gripped me. Panache. A lot of panache. <laughs> and here's, here's an example, like the Tommy Hagen who Robert Duvall within the movie. So the, the, the German Irish, the, uh, the Kraut Mick as one of the, the, uh, Bad guys calls him. Anyway, the just the thought process, because he's got to put on, he's got to represent the Godfather, and the Godfather delivers messages at, I need you to execute this, or I'm sending you to do this. And then he's faced with the guy that, you know, he gives them the offer they won't refuse, but he's in this position where he's got to manage this guy before he does the dirty to uh, it's the the horse stall guy, the movie guy out in California within mm-hmm. the movie before he drops kills the guy's show prime horse, and in, it goes through Tommy Hagen's thought process of, all right, Godfather's expectations are this: I'm talking to this guy who is just stone calling me. He's he's showing me 
his horse stalls. He's treating me to a fine dinner. He's being very respectful, but at the same time, he's not, he's mm-hmm. not folding. So this guy and goes through, okay, I have to interpret the Godfather. What did he want? What's this guy selling me? And then you're inside each of these characters' heads. So it's not like the, and then they transfer to Sonny and how he's a freaking like booze hound and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, not, not a nice dude, womanizer. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, my favorite so one it, is. You is get the, into inside all these guys' head. Hey, uh, have you got to the one where he meets the girl that like, you know, has the, the big lady parts down there, but he fills her up? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude, so like the wedding, like yeah, that, uh, that whole, like, I like the book was so interesting in terms of like the mindset and here and the, like, because it, it, it adds a layer that you can't see on the, right. The exactly. Impossible that, yeah. to c- create in this cinema. You've seen shown in another quick example that I was sharing with Luke that, that, that represented the value in the book is in the movie during the wedding, the FBI shows up out on the street and they're writing down license plates. Yeah. And then we see James Conn run out there and, you know, try to shake his fist at these cops to FBI to get him out. And then the Godfather within the book, he's like, it's good. Sonny's going out there. Cause I told these guys don't bring your own car. Mm-hmm. So they had some other license plates, some other cars. And then the fact that Sonny's going out there makes him, these license appear real. Mm-hmm. So these FBI's are going to waste months of their yeah, so time. He's playing a little chess. So then you it's get good. that layer and I appreciate mm-hmm. the gift. Yeah. Yeah. Merry so, Christmas, pal. Excellent. Yeah. No, I mean the, uh, yeah, no, I mean there's, yeah, I, I, I will definitely say the nuance, but, um, yeah, I don't know what else we can't really beat a dead horse anymore, but mm-hmm. we'll do it. Uh, speaking of dead, I was going to, it's a good transition for the Godfather. Check out the book. If you have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. End and up with a horse. The vision quest book. Don't get a horse head in your bed mm-hmm. or do you know, don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. I, I always, rem- I was always thinking like one, how big a horse is, but the amount of work it would take to remove its head. Well, they have the right tools. Jeff. The, oh yeah. Like you would have like, <laughs> apparently that reaction, they didn't tell that actor in the movie they they didn't tell him it was going to be a real horse oh. so they it was a real horse and then that dude's reaction is 100% authentic oh god wow as he went in the bed sheets and uh <laughs> fuck so, good shit Coppola. good trivia yeah, yeah. No, good trivia. awesome well, thanks, guys, for another uh, for joining us on another episode of just hanging with the boys, answering questions, doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Until next time, bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!